Welcome to Today on Broadway for Monday, October 16th, 2017. I'm Broadway World's Matt Tamanini. And I am Broadway star's James Marino. James, you had a uh, uh, an episode of This Week on Broadway yesterday where you guys came back around to K-pop and you also talked about Time in the Conways. Uh, what was the general consensus of the Roundabout Revival? Time in the Conways, um, Jenna liked it. Peter loved it. Hmm. Okay. So, uh, so fairly yep. different from what we talked about during the review roundup earlier this past week. Yeah. Uh, I, yeah, I guess uh, on Sunday afternoon, I saw it. Uh, after, oh, I didn't know that. After we, we recorded uh, this week on Broadway. So I'll talk about it a little bit next week, but I'm, I'm probably more in the Peter camp. I really enjoyed it. I thought it was great. Really? Okay, good. So basically the Broadway radio um, critics differed fairly substantially from the rest of the critics. So uh, I wonder what that means. I wonder if there's something to be gleaned from that revelation. Uh, and I don't think Michael weighed in on it yet, uh, but uh, Michael will be back next week on This Week on Broadway, and we'll talk about it a little bit then. I think that he is, uh, has seen it. I'm not positive about that, okay. but he must have because he did a Talking Broadway review. Oh, that's right. He, yeah, he did write the review, and I believe he raved about it in his review, actually. Hmm. All right. So we'll have to talk about that. In fact, uh, I try to more or less ignore reviews until I see it, so I'm sure. going to go back and revisit the Brantley review or whoever. I don't know who, Jesse. who reviewed it. Did Jesse reviewed it? Yeah. So, yeah, I'm glad that you uh, listened when I read them all. That was – thank you. I appreciate that. What was that? <laughs> Whatever. All right. Um, also, before we get started, I want to send out a hearty congratulations to everyone over at the Neil Simon Theater, where the Broadway revival of Cats, now and forever, celebrated its 500th performance on Broadway. I'm not even going to do the math to add that up to what, you know, compared to the original uh, version was. But 500 performances for a revival of a musical that apparently everybody hates is not bad. So uh, congratulations to them. Of course, that revival is scheduled to close on December 30th. And a, I guess another national tour is launching in January of 2019. So literally now and forever. Mm. I tell you, Cats keeps a lot of dancers employed. Sure That's, does. Uh, sure does. Lots. <laughs> and, and physical therapists. Oh, chiropractors, PTs, definitely uh, podiatrists and everybody else that's going there, plus uh, probably Capizio. I don't know what that is. Uh, it's a shoe company. Dancers, oh, okay. dancers wear the Capizio. All right, cool. All right. Uh, first up, talking about doctor employment, War Paint is closed. <laughs> the closing is moved up to accommodate Patty Lapone's surgery. Yeah, James, on Friday afternoon, we learned that the original Broadway production of War Paint will close about seven weeks earlier than originally planned, with a previous closing date already on the books for December 30th, like Cats. On Friday, producers announced that the show would shutter on Sunday, November 5th, in order to accommodate, quote, necessary and immediate hip replacement surgery for one of the show's stars two-time Tony winner Patti Lapone. Lapone said in a statement, quote, It is with great sadness that I must leave war paint to undergo, undergo hip replacement surgery. For several months, I've been performing in a great deal of pain. My producers have provided an incredible team who, through physical therapy, 
chiropractic and acupuncture have enabled me to continue on stage. But the pain has now become too intense, and I have no other choice but to leave Christine, John, Doug, and this wonderfully supportive company of actors who I've had the great privilege to work with for over a year. I will miss them more than I can express. James, my admiration for Lapone has been well documented on this show, so I would never think of questioning her. But if this surgery is, quote, necessary and immediate, isn't it a little odd that they're announcing closing for three weeks later? I mean, perhaps her she's in so much pain that she's not going to do any more damage and her surgeon of choice isn't available until November 6th, perhaps. Um, but necessary and immediate makes me think like, she should already have been at the hospital before that press release went out. You also mentioned something to me on Friday when this came out um, that brought to mind shades of shuffle along. But how much of the box office must the producers think is tied directly to Lapone to not even try to finish the run with somebody else through the usually robust holiday season? Certainly they could get a decent name Broadway diva to step into that role for a month and a half, two months. Um, they've got a month, you know, of rehearsal or three weeks of rehearsal. Who knows? They could have gotten somebody else to do this through the holiday season and go up to that original December 30th closing date. Couldn't they have James? I mean, heck, maybe Donna Murphy could have done it on days other than Tuesday. <laughs> Speaking of uh, uh, Donna's, I mean, uh, the understudy Donna, uh, I'm going to kill her name. Yeah. Uh, Migliaccio. Yeah, um, I think that's right. Uh, certainly could have stepped in. And that brings to the question how much of everyday uh, tickets are being bought to see Patty alone and not just to see the whole body of work. Uh, Or Christine Ebersole. Yeah, Christine Ebersole, exactly. So uh, hard to say, but uh, after Patty um, had the surgery and done, you know what she's doing next? I, I don't. Tell me. Uh, he has a musical version of the Six Million Dollar Woman coming to Broadway, and uh, <laughs> the kids—they don't understand what we, what we just said. I mean, that's before my time too, but I still got it. I got it. <laughs> all right. Well, uh, we wish the best to Patty. We're all big fans here, and um, and everybody else associated with War Paint, and uh, sad that it's going to go away just a little bit shorter than they had planned, but. Um, I'm interested to see if something drops into the theater there for a quick uh, holiday show or if it's just going to stay dark. Yeah, well, we don't have anything announced for the Nederlander anytime soon. And we've talked about before when they originally announced closing. It's a tough house to plan for. So it'll be interesting to see what they try to put in there. We know that Pretty Woman, the musical, has been announced for a Nederlander theater to be named later. I don't know if this will be it. If if. The name Pretty Woman is enough to hopefully entice people to come down outside of the, you know, Times Square area to kind of get to this theater. Um, But it'll be fun to watch and see what producers are adventurous enough to try to uh, take into this house that is potentially cursed. I don't know. We'll see. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's merely, you know, 40 or 50 feet south of 42nd street you know it's on 41st street and uh and you know couldn't be close to the stage door of the new amsterdam but uh it's interesting that we 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 you know other than rent and i guess newsies newsies yeah um other than rent and newsies been a tough house to get a hit into but uh maybe if they put like spruce springsteen in there you know (laughs) (laughs) you've used that joke once before so yeah you know 
hoping people don't remember that. All right, next up in the news, uh, Roundabout announces an A-list reading of Damn Yankees for December. Yeah, James, on Friday, the Roundabout Theater Company, which, reminding you, does not have a musical on or off Broadway this season, announced a star-studded benefit concert reading of Damn Yankees to play the Stephen Sondheim Theater on December 11th. This big-ticket event will feature Tony and Oscar winner Whoopi Goldberg as Applegate, which Mm. I think is inspired casting, Golden Globe winner Maggie Gyllenhaal following in her brother's footsteps as Lola. Not that Jake has played Lola, but doing the musical concert thing. Um, and Tony and Oscar winner James Earl Jones as Mr. Welch, the owner of the hapless Washington Senators. I was actually kind of hoping that he would have been either the old Joe or perhaps the manager of the Senators, but I'll take the owner. I don't think he sings, but that's fine. Whatever. Anyway, obviously, further casting will be announced in the coming weeks. Proceeds from the benefit support Roundabout Theater Company's many programs and initiatives, including education at Roundabout. Now, James, with Kiss Me Kate last year and Dan Mankey's this year, what is RTC doing? Uh, they haven't had a musical on Broadway since January when Holiday Inn closed. And off the top of my head, I can't think of a musical that played off Broadway since then either. Um, I, I know they tried to bring in some transfers for their Broadway season and even to mount some of their own revivals of musicals. But to me, as somebody who clearly doesn't subscribe to Roundabout, this looks like very bad form to have the only musical that you're programming in over a calendar year, I mean, looks like potentially a year and a half before they could actually even have a musical in one of their theaters on or off Broadway to have the only one be a big dollar benefit that likely many of your subscribers won't be able to attend. That just looks bad to me. It looks like they're taking, uh, you know, not advantage of, but they're they're taking their subscribers for granted, James. And I, I don't know if this is the best look for them, but I understand they have to do it because, you know, no one's going to pay big bucks to hear a reading of a play. I mean, they're going to want to go hear the reading of a musical. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't really know what's in the minds of a roundabout subscriber, but as I mentioned <laughs> on, uh, on a Sunday afternoon, I was at time of the Conways. Um, and you know, that's a roundabout, uh, production and mm-hmm. the audience skews a little bit old. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I don't know if there, if there's so many musical offerings on Broadway these days that maybe, maybe Roundabout's looking for counter-programming and just doing plays and certainly plays are seemingly, uh, financially easier to manage than, a mu- uh, than musicals are, but we'll have to, uh, see if uh, the folks who are selling roundabout subscriptions, the phone jockeys that pound the phones and keep (laughs) calling people over and over and say, hey, let's renew your subscriptions if they're getting pushback. Uh, And if you are one of those phone jockeys for the Roundabout Theater Company uh, and you have any anonymous words for us, please uh, let us know. We will only use your first name. We can distort your voice. We can do whatever you want. We we, we got you. Exactly. <laughs> so, uh, and this whole benefit thing with damn Yankees, if, uh, you know, it's just, is another $2,500 a ticket type of thing with Kelly O'Hara that I can't go to see. 
You know, um, they haven't no, announced Kelly, Kelly yet. They haven't. Been... No, they haven't. I mean, she was in the one yeah. I mentioned, uh, "Kiss Me, Kate" last year, um, and she's doing the Brigadoon one next month. So a month before this one, mm-hmm. who knows? Um, I don't know that she really fits any of the roles in this show, especially since Maggie's already playing Lola. But she could do Joe Hardy. I mean, I don't think there's a role in the theater that Kelly couldn't do well. Yeah, that that whole uh, that yeah, she can do anything. Don't don't make me fight you. Well, especially if Whoopi's playing Mr. Applegate, let Kelly O'Hara play Joe Hardy. Go for it. I'm all for it. All right. Next up, Hugh Jackman and Vera Farmiga. Oh, sorry. Yeah, Vera Farmiga. Sorry about that. (laughs) Vera Farmiga to lead the benefit reading of The Princess Bride. Yeah, James, in less frustrating benefit reading news, last Friday, the Atlanta Journal-Constitution announced that stage and screen stars Hugh Jackman and Vera Farmiga would do a one-night-only reading of the film The Princess Bride next Saturday in Atlanta, with all proceeds going to hurricane relief in Puerto Rico. Jackman will read the role of Wesley, a.k.a. the Dread Pirate Roberts, and Farmiga will read Buttercup. The event will take place at the Rialto Theater on the campus of Georgia State University. The stars are in high Atlanta filming filming the new movie uh, The Front Runner based on the scandalous love affair of disgraced Senator Gary Hart, which I'm sure many of you listeners remember quite well. Um, but this is one, James, we've I think we've talked about The Princess Bride before, and I know on literally Patty Muir on the podcast, she has said that her and uh, she and her husband would do a musical version of The Princess Bride practically for free if one ever got, came to Broadway. I think was it was it Michael John Lacusa or, or no, I don't think it was somebody had uh, Andrew Lippa maybe had one that had been in the works for a long time, but I think it's dead at this point, but it seems like such a perfect property to musicalize at some point. It has to get done once the rights of whatever previous attempts clear up. It's interesting that this pops up because uh, there's some sort of special anniversary showing of the Princess Bride coming up in the next couple of weeks mm, cool. here in New York. I don't know if it's a nationwide thing or something like that, but um, certainly the Princess Bride has got tons of fans, and uh, I think it would be a, a great thing to for somebody to take that on. Hello! My name is Inigo Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. Stop saying that! All right. Uh, next up, Reconceived Little Shop of Horrors Denied Rights. Yeah, James. Now, normally when we hear about stories like these where reinventions of classic works um, are denied rights by the rights holders, they usually don't involve um, the show's original star and the director of the film version trying to get those rights. Apparently, following that incredible 2015 off-center concert run of Little Shop in which Ellen Green reprised her iconic role as Audrey opposite the aforementioned Jake Gyllenhaal, she started to see the show in a different light. Last week, she told Entertainment Weekly that after that run, she started thinking about doing the show again on stage. And as events transpired over 2016 and into 2017, she started to see the show as a cautionary connection um, between the musical theater world and the real life world as the show's murderous plant resembled a certain slimy real estate mogul turned president. So she reached out to the legendary Frank Oz, who directed the film of Little Shop, and together they combined elements of the stage version with elements of the screen version into a revamped show specifically for today's zeitgeist. 
However, the late lyricist Howard Ashman's estate put the kibosh on it. Green told EW, quote, I said to Frank, if we do this, uh, if we do this, we have to do this now. We were prepared. And when we were denied the rights, it broke my heart because I really wanted the fans to know that I really fought for trying to bring it to them. Now, James, what do you think about this idea where perhaps Audrey, too, would be voiced by a Donald Trump impersonator or something and saying, believe me, at the end of everything or you're fired? You know, what what do, what do you think about this idea? It seems a little kooky and a little too fringy for me. But then again, the whole idea of Little Shop of Horrors seems kind of fringy. And, uh, you know, Alan Menken and Howard Ashman figured out a way to make it awesome. So who knows? Something's not right there because I – don't think you would talk to the Ashman estate. I think you would talk to the film holder for rights. Well, they don't want to do a film. They want to do it on stage. It would have yeah. been a stage production. Would the film? Uh, well, was the f- was the film before the show? The show before the film? Because no, the show usually... was before the, the show was before the film. Uh, it was an off Broadway run, and then they did it a few years later on screen. But that's been now. I mean, thirty plus years yeah but i think if you're going to license the show as it is you would go to the licensing house that holds it it's mti or something i think so and but if you are going to modify the film version you'd have to go to the film holder rights which is the studio hmm. uh, perhaps and, and we had alan menken on a few weeks ago and we actually talked about little shop of horrors and he said something was happening with it well, so there, there's been a be, lot of rumors. There yeah, might be ahead. another film that's the yes. reason that they kiboshed it because there's somebody else working on a film version of it and they can't extend those rights twice. Could be. They, you know, there's been lots of rumors of uh, Joseph Gordon Levitt doing a film version uh, of this. And I think, wait, no, I think we know this. No, 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 no. I'm remembering now. There's been reports from Deadline, I believe, of Greg Berlanti directing a version potentially with Josh Gad and Rebel Wilson. We've talked about this before, there, um, but it's been a while. So lots of different things going on. So that might be the the film version that is, you know, stepping into this. But Ellen Green seems to think that Howard Ashman's estate said no to because because of bringing it up to date in terms of the Donald. And the other aspect of it is, is that I think the Ashman estate realizes that, um, you know, to start a film now, by time it came out, it would be 2020 and Donald Trump will already have been impeached and removed from office two years <laughs> earlier. So, uh, I, I hope it's even more than two years. <laughs> All right. Next up in the news. Uh, Oh, you know what? We should, while we're tangentially political here, did you hear about the Betty Buckley thing at uh, the, at the, the um, where is it, the public? No, I didn't. Uh, Betty's doing her show down at the public. She yeah, had two, yeah, two, yeah. two shows on Saturday night, and an audience member started yelling at her because Betty was saying anti-Trump things. And, uh, and an audience member started yelling that she was... You know, she didn't come here to have politics and <laughs> Betty sort of put her in her place. But uh, yeah. clearly it, she doesn't follow Betty Buckley on social media if she came there to not to hear politics. If you're a Trump supporter going down to Lafayette Street, talk about being in the DMZ. 
it's funny yeah betty buckley is the best she will say whatever the hell she wants and she's (laughs) usually right and if you follow her on twitter or instagram or whatever and you don't realize where she stands and how outspoken she is that's on you that's a you problem that's not a betty problem (laughs) all right uh next up ian mckellen voices the demon in west end's the exorcist Yes. Um, yes. And so last week it was announced that the iconic, legendary actor Ian McKellen would be voicing the demon in the West End premiere of The Exorcist. Uh, it begins later this month, actually later this week on October 20th at the Phoenix Theater. It is a stage adaptation by William Peter Bla- uh, or straight stage adaptation of William Peter Blady's iconic best-selling novel. It originally premiered out in California, I believe, with. Brooke Shields uh, playing the mother in this. I, I imagine from what I can tell James that he his voice is being recorded, um, not necessarily uh, doing it live because that would seem like a gross underuse of Ian McKellen. But in uh, the press release that went out last week, we got a trailer that opens up with Ian McKellen as the demon devil talking to Reagan, uh, the central character who is possessed. And it's Ian McKellen, but it's gives you shivers down your spine to hear him saying these lines from uh from the exorcist film and it's uh it's pretty cool so it's in the show notes if you want to check that out and um yeah it definitely puts magneto in a in a much different light you know how uh the waitress yeah you go to waitress on broadway and you can get some apple pies maybe if you go to the exorcist oh, you pea get soup. some pea, pea green soup <laughs> <laughs> oh, i'm gonna vomit already all right Natalie, we're so sorry to give you that lead in, but <laughs> all right, let's uh, find out what's up in this week's theatrical schedule with Natalie. Hi, I'm Natalie Nowak, host of Broadway Radio's On My Way to a BFA, and I'm here to discuss this week's theatrical calendar. First up, on Monday, All for One Theater's production of Squeamish opens. Squeamish is the tale of an Upper West Side psychoanalyst portrayed by Allison Fraser. She's a longtime recovering alcoholic whose bloody quest for personal balance begins when she finds herself in the South Plains of Texas, off her meds, after her nephew's suicide. This production will run through November 11th. The first national tour of Waitress opens on Tuesday at the Connor Palace Theater in Cleveland, Ohio, and will travel to dozens of cities across the country. The lead role of Jenna will be portrayed by Desi Oakley, who is in the Broadway productions of Wicked, Annie, and Les Mis. The rest of the cast includes Brian Fenkart, Nick Bailey, Charity Angel Dawson, Ryan G. Duncan, Lena Klingeman, Larry Marshall, and Jeremy Morse. Also on Tuesday, the New York premiere of The Office Hour begins previews. This story involves a teacher, Gina, portrayed by Sue Jean Kim, who was warned that one of her students would be a problem. 18 years old and strikingly odd, Dennis, portrayed by Ki Hong Lee, writes violently obscene work clearly intended to unsettle those around him. Determined to know whether he's a real threat, Gina compels Dennis to attend her office hours. The office hour will officially open on November 2nd. Next for Tuesday, the off-Broadway revival of Bells Are Ringing opens at the Lion Theater at Theater Row. Casey Colgan directs and choreographs this classic musical comedy. This production will run through October 29th. Tuesday is also an exciting day for The Color Purple because the Revival National Tour will open at Baltimore's Hippodrome Theater and will travel to a city near you. Cast members from the 2016 Broadway Revival include Adriana Hicks as Celie, Carla R. Stewart as Shug Avery, and Carrie Compare as Sophia. Yet another opening on Tuesday is the West End premiere of David Ives' critically acclaimed Broadway smash hit, Venus in Fur, at the Theatre Royal Haymarket. 
Natalie Dormer and David Oak star in this production. On Thursday, Denise Goff will reprise her Olivier Award-winning performance in the American premiere of Duncan McMillan's play People, Places, and Things at St. Anne's Warehouse. Also on Thursday, the Broadway production of Latin History for Morons begins previews at Studio 54. In Latin History for Morons, John Leguizamo schools his son and the rest of us on the buried and forgotten history of Latinos in the Americas in this one-man play about uncovering the truth and recovering from the past. This production is set to open on November 15th. Thursday also marks the start of previews for the off-Broadway production of Knives and Hens. Set in a world on the cusp of change, the fates of a young woman, her plowman husband, and a local miller collide in a quest for knowledge, agency, and freedom. This cast includes Alvin Keith, Robin Kerr, and Shane Taylor. Knives and Hens will officially open on October 29th. Freight, the five incarnations of Abel Green, begins previews off-Broadway on Thursday at the Castillo Theater. J. Alphonse Nicholson takes us on a journey through the incarnations of an African-American male who exists in five dimensions of the same universe at different points in American history. This production will open on October 21st. Next up for Thursday is the opening of Keen Company's Lonely Planet, starring Arnie Burton and Matt McGrath. Set in a small map store on the oldest street in an American city, Lonely Planet is an intimate portrait of two friends at the height of the HIV-AIDS epidemic. The tour of Escape to Margaritaville opens on Friday in New Orleans at the Sanger Theater. This production will travel to Houston and Chicago before beginning its Broadway run on February 16th at the Marquee Theater. Featuring both original songs and your most loved Jimmy Buffett classics, this new musical is the story of a tropical island resort and its part-time bartender, part-time singer, and full-time charmer who thinks he's got life all figured out. Until a beautiful career-minded tourist steals his heart and makes him question everything. The principal cast includes Paul Alexander Nolan, Allison Luff, Lisa Howard, Eric Peterson, Rima Webb, Don Sparks, and Andre Ward. Illyria begins previews at the Public Theater on Sunday. This production will officially open on October 30th. The cast includes Rosie Benton, Will Brill, Kristen Connolly, Blake DeLong, Emma Duncan, Fran Kranz, John Magaro, Nyan Gonzalez-Norvind, John Sanders, and Max Wartendike. Now let's talk about what's closing this week. First up, the off-Broadway revival of The Show-Off will close on October 21st. The Broadway production of The Terms of My Surrender closes on October 22nd. Michael Moore stars in an exhilarating, subversive, one-man show guaranteed to take audiences on a ride through the United States of Insanity, explaining once and for all how the heck we got here and where best to dine before crossing with the Von Trapp family over the Canadian border. Classic Stage Company's revival of As You Like It also will close on October 22nd. Artistic director John Doyle and Tony Award-winning composer Stephen Schwartz bring Shakespeare's pastoral romance into the jazz age. Primary stages, the gospel according to Thomas Jefferson, Charles Dickens, and Count Leo Tolstoy Discord is set to close on October 22nd. And that's it for this week's theatrical calendar. As I said in the beginning of this segment, I'm the host of another podcast on Broadway radio called On My Way to a BFA, which chronicles my experiences as a musical theater major at the Hart School. And on this month's episode, which will be released soon, I interviewed Karen Mason, who you may know from the Broadway productions of Hairspray, Mamma Mia, and Sunset Boulevard. I'd love for you to follow my journey, so feel free to follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Natalie underscore Noack. To listen to my podcast, go to broadwayradio.com and search On My Way to a BFA. All right. Thank you so much. And Matt, why don't you get us out of here? 
All right. Thanks for listening to today on Broadway. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Broadway Radio. And you can find me on Twitter at BWB Matt and subscribe to Something Like a Pop on iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play. And my name is James Marino from BroadwayRadio.com and BroadwayStars.com. Thanks for starting off your week with us. And Matt and I will be back and chat with you tomorrow. Tomorrow.